You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here at Metro Vision Studios, and we are continuing our Bible studies and our devotionals to learn to grow and to be our best for God, to be good disciples of Jesus. And uh, um, last week we did a series on race relationships. And um, this week um, uh, I want to do something special again. I I apologize, we're going to put off John just a little bit longer. But John is universal, good for all time. And I think we can always go back um, and finish John, which I'm very excited about doing. But but because of the importance, importance uh of what is happening in our world i think we're in a historical time we're in a, a watershed moment and uh um i i don't want to miss this for both teaching and learning opportunities um i i am a big advocate of of trying to make sure that uh, our church is always relevant that we are dealing with life as it really is and not living in a bubble and separated from the rest of the world, but that we're in it and that we're in it neck deep because we are here and the kingdom of God is supposed to be advancing and and bringing a light to the world. And so, so there's a lot to learn and there's a lot to teach. So the the, the topic is justice. And, um, and uh, this class is going to be an introduction to justice, uh, justice in the Bible. And uh, I don't. I'm not calling it social justice because I don't want to get it to get confused or pulled into um, any political realms or political uh, sides. I have no desire to get into politics. So I want to avoid that as much as possible. But politics and just justice do overlap, particularly social justice, because they are both about dealing with human problems. And and. Um, and it would be correct to say soldiers justice because there's a whole aspect of um, Bible teaching on justice that has to do with social issues. And so uh, I want to show a little video that we'll put into this and uh, then uh, we'll come back and I'll finish the class. And uh, But I'd like to show the little video first. So here's the little video. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. 
And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, 
The only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So that was great, wasn't it? Um, I, I, I saw that video the other day. I think the Bible Project guys did a fantastic job with it. It's a fantastic little introduction. And it goes very well with what we're going to be talking about. And this is an introduction because the topic is huge. There are volumes of books out there discussing justice, biblical justice, and um, and how it works. And, of course, we're, we're, we're talking about restorative justice. That's what we're going to focus on. Remember, that's verse, what we would call today criminal justice or social justice. And we're focusing more on the social side of it. But again, this is this is an introduction. And I'll be honest with you, normally I don't like to teach on something until I feel basically that I'm I'm an expert in it, you know, or I've I've studied it so thoroughly that there's there's no major aspects of it that I have not reviewed or read a book on or or researched. Normally I'd rather just stay away from a subject. Uh, that, that especially one as controversial as social justice. However, um, I think, uh, because of the importance of the topic, the timing of it right now, um, I think that over the next year, this is going to be a huge topic. This is, as the world is changing right now, um, because of the marches and the protests, because of the anger and the frustration, because of the wrongs that have happened over the last couple hundred years. Uh, the last several hundred years, there's a watershed happening. There's a watershed moment happening, and we need to understand it from a biblical perspective. Um, uh, it's ironic that the 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 Greek word for justice is krisis or crisis. So uh, we're we're kind of in that mode right now. But um, it is introductory, and and I'm going to just go ahead and jump on in, even though I really would like probably about six more months to study it, but um, I have been studying it for the last couple of years casually. I've read some books. I've I've read a number of articles um, as well as I've gone through the scriptures, of course. That's really more actually where I started with, with the scriptures, and then I started looking at commentaries and, and different things, and a number of brothers have written great papers out there. Some of the teachers have written papers uh, about justice and learning from everybody to figure out what I believe and what my conviction is about it. Um, uh, but I do, what I do know for sure is that it's incredibly important to God. And that as a godly person or any man or woman of God needs to have a conviction about it, needs to understand some things. And, and, and to be really open and honest with you, uh, even these last couple of weeks, I've learned a lot about it as, as the wrongs, uh, uh, of police brutality or even just racial prejudice have come to the surface over the last few weeks because of Ahmad's death, because of George Floyd's death, because of of uh, it highlighting what has been a pattern for, for a very long, long time. Um, 
everybody's talking about it. I've talked a lot about it, you know, and, and what I've, and, and I've been learning and, I, and I'll tell you this, you know, I, I think initially I thought of myself more as one of the victims, you know, and I mean, I've had my share growing up, lots of stuff, you know, happening. I've been, you know, beat up multiple times because of being brown, you know, and, and, and to be honest, sometimes by white gangs, uh, it's happened by black gangs, by Mexican gangs, even, um, because I was from a different part of California and, um, and those were all racial things one way or another, or, or I, I don't know what you'd call the Northern California one, but Southern California one, but, uh, but, um, and I've, even in the church, you know, I, I, um, had, uh, one, one of the conferences, a rather large conference where I spoke about helping refugees in Turkey and Europe. I was, uh, going around helping with refugee camps, working with brothers and sisters in Germany. Um, the, the Swansons, awesome. They, t- um, they took me, uh, to Italy with a group that they have. And then we went to Turkey. Um, but I shared about that. And I received a flood of hate emails afterwards. Um, and that, that was in the church. That was people in the church who felt like I was helping the enemy and, and felt it necessary to call me a dirty Mexican and say that I was only a product of affirmative action, that I had no business leading and all this kind of stuff. And it was ugly. And, and honestly, it was very hurtful. Um, so because of all these things, I've, I've always kind of identified myself more as a fellow victim, so to speak. But even these last few weeks, uh, listening to brothers and sisters here in Metro and the hurt and the pain and really considering like never before the impact on their lives has, has shaken me deep, deeply. And I think what I've realized is that not only, yes, I, I, I have been a victim of it. That's, that's valid and true, but I've also been a perpetrator. I've also been an accomplice. And that's the hard part because I never would have thought that of myself. I've, I've always been anti-racism and anti-prejudice and, um, but silence can be just as devastating as saying something. And, you know, there are many scriptures that talk about speaking up, defending, standing up for, And I had not done that, not for the African-American community, even though I knew things were wrong and I knew things were bad. And I have, you know, I have stood up for and even marched for when children were being separated from their families uh, at the border detention centers. I went to the border detention centers and I, you know, reached out to the kids and because it was so much, I was so hurt by that. And it, and, it, and it affected me so much. I wanted to do something. But I have not marched for black lives. And I feel very convicted about that. And I am very sorry about that. And I want to understand more of how much I need to change. And I need to, I know I need to repent. And to really live out those scriptures that we're going to be studying, I need to be more of a voice and and I do love my brothers and sisters of all races and colors and backgrounds, but my silence is not acceptable. And, you know, I just saw a movie about, uh, I forget the name of the movie, I think something about mercy. It's a new movie out of Netflix. And this man was wrongly accused and wrongly jailed and the entire town knew he was the wrong person. 
And I thought, how in the world could all those people know that and nobody say anything? But then I thought, have I not done that through the years? As I've seen people wronged and not say anything and not do something about it. So I'm sorry about that. I'm repenting and and I want to be the best I can be as a brother and really understand equality and justice for all. And that's partly why I'm doing this study, even though I don't feel completely ready to do it. But uh, there's a lot of things I understand and we'll kind of learn together as we go on justice. So, um, so justice uh, is... Uh, as I said, a very a very important topic to God, um, and as you saw from the from the little video that that there's there's different kinds of justice that we're talking about. Um, we're talking we're focusing on restorative justice, getting things right. I love this quote. I got this um, quote: uh, "Biblical reference to the word justice means to make right. Justice is first and foremost a relational term." People living in right relationship with God, one another, and the natural creation. From a scriptural point of view, justice means loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and is rooted in the character and the nature of God. As God is just and loving, so we are called to do justice and live in love. That was a, That's a nice general definition that kind of covers the base. Very general, but I think it paints a, an accurate picture of what justice is all about. It's, it's rooted in love. It's rooted in righteousness. It's to make things right. Yes, it's to be fair. Yes, it's to restore what is unfair or not right. It's the action of restoring it, you know, of setting things right. The Hebrew word misfat is the word that we, uh, see in this and, and we'll be using this word. This is our primary word. There are other words, but this is the, the anchor. So you could, you could say, um, in Hebrew, misfat is translated as justice. Uh, in Greek, as I mentioned earlier, krisis, krisis, uh, or crisis, uh, we would say, right? Um, here's an example of it, uh, being translated and repeated by Jesus. So we have it in Hebrew and we have it in Greek here. Here is my servant whom I have chosen the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. You know, when you think about justice, setting things right, is he's going to proclaim that. He's going to get things right. So when things are unequal, when things, when one man is blessed and another is suffering, that's not right. The blessed person should be helping the suffering person. Um, when per, one person has more than enough food to eat and another person doesn't have enough food to eat, they're starving. That's not right. So justice is them sharing so that it's right, so that everybody has. And to him who is given much, much is required. That's justice. That's setting things right. When the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what should I do? He said, if you want to be perfect, you know, if you really want to go all the way, and basically, he told him to be justice, to be just, sell everything he had, give it to the poor, and follow him um, to set things right. And that's not to say, that's not the advice he gave everybody. That's not what everybody wealthy is supposed to do. Um, in fact, being wealthy is not a sin. I think sometimes, particularly people who are 
sometimes you'll get people in the camp of the social justice camp will look at anybody wealthy as though they're in sin or they're doing wrong. Uh, we have to remember that God made Abraham wealthy. God made Isaac wealthy, Jacob wealthy, Joseph wealthy. I mean, it's one of God's many blessings is wealth and power and ability. And at the same time, we always have to remember that, uh, you know, wealth is a form of power and to quote Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Um, and that's, that's the Bible, right? To him who is given much, much is what expected? No, required, required justice that we be advocates of justice, that we stand up for things to be made right. And Isaiah, uh, chapter one, verse 17, um, learn to do good, seek justice, Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Um, these are all action items. This is a list. This is a to-do list. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Excuse me. Seek justice. We need to find it. We need to understand it. We need to look for it. Correct oppression. So if something is wrong, we're supposed to correct it. So if, if this is why I'm telling you that I'm getting convicted by this and I'm seeing that I played a part in the wrong, not just, wasn't just a victim because I haven't sought to correct things. I've watched it and said nothing. And, and, and I'm beginning now, honestly, I have a growing conviction that we do need to say something. We do. Why? Because the Bible says to correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You know, that that when, when widows are hurting, we need to do something. We have a perfect example of in Acts chapter 6. There was a widow's need, and boom, the church, you get the feeling the church hit the stop button and fixed it. And not only did they fix it, they didn't just find a couple of brothers standing around doing nothing to help figure out how to fix it. They picked Stephen. I mean, he's awesome. They picked high-powered brothers. Philip, he's awesome, you know. We read about them in the next several chapters. Um, these were great brothers who fixed it, fixed the problem with the widows. And, and that's basically to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring about justice, to plead the cause of the widows. Proverbs 31, 8, 9. And there are many more. I'm, I'm just pulling out a few to give us an idea of what we're being told by God. Uh, Proverbs 31, 8, 9. Open your mouth for the mute, the people who have no voice. You know, there's a lot of people in our world that have no voice. And I don't think he's talking about physical. I think this is metaphorical. The people who have no voice, they have no power, which generally speaking is the poor and the minorities of every country, and every country has them, particularly here in the United States, for the rights of all who are destitute. Can't tell me that we don't have destitute people in our country. We do have destitute people. Open your mouth, judge righteously. You know, be fair, do what's right. What's right. And I think this is where we really got to be careful that we don't get sucked into political agendas. Because that's that is why I am so disgusted by political agendas, because they're not really about right and wrong. They're about philosophical views. And I've seen on all sides, 
People turn blind eyes to huge injustice because it's not what their political view espouses. And that is a violation of scripture. We go by the scriptures, which is a higher calling and a higher mandate than any political view or any political thought or political philosophy. Uh, I always think of the Hebrew national commercial. We answer to a higher authority, right? We don't just fulfill the government requirements. We fulfill God's requirements. We answer to a higher authority. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Let's, let's, let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's, let's deal with what's really right and what's really wrong. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Okay. Th- these are all action items. Open your mouth and defend. You know, so what are you going to say? How are you going to open your mouth? How are you going to defend? What are you going to do? We can do something. And, and I'm not going to, in, in this whole series, I'm not going to tell anybody to do anything. This is up to you. I'm just going to, try to put the spotlight on the scriptures. And I'm sharing a little bit about what I'm getting out of this as I study. This is a study ongoing for me. Um, but this is what I'm getting and what I, and what I do know it says, open your mouth and defend the rights. Okay. Amen. How do I do that? Where do I do that? When do I do that? What way do I do that? Obviously it needs to be in a godly way, in a spiritual way, in a holy way, as befitting of who I am as one of God's people. But got to do something. So let's figure it out. Jeremiah 22, 3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. You know, I don't think we normally think of justice and righteousness as what you do. We think of it more as who you are, right? I'm a just person or I believe in justice. He says, do justice. How do you do justice? How do you do righteousness? You know, that, that, and, and he says, um, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You know, there's, there's, um, and, and I know these scriptures, they're, they, they are political hotspots. They're political landmines. And, and I think honestly, that's why we stay away from these scriptures because we're afraid. We're afraid. And, and, and it's understandable. We're afraid of getting caught up in some political agenda or political debate or, or, you know, my biggest concern is that I don't unnecessarily cause any brother to stumble, that I not be the cause of somebody stumbling. And, and so I think for this reason that everything that we do needs to be tethered to scripture. So that what we do is scriptural. It's biblical. It's not this political group's vision or that political group. And, and you have political parties and you have political groups. They're both out there and political views and political philosophies. And because there's so much overlap, it's just easy to tangle them two to, to, to tangle the two together. And they're not. I think as a Christian, we have to separate them out. And yeah, to say yes on this is, going to look like you're saying yes on this, but no, you're saying yes on this because it's a scripture and, and we go by the scriptures and when it doesn't matter who it pleases or it doesn't plead, please. I don't go out and commit adultery because I love my wife and I love my God. I don't care if there's a political party that believes in it or espouses it or promotes it. Even it doesn't matter. 
I'm here to please God and please my wife. And, and so in that same line of thinking, we do what the scriptures teach, no matter who it pleases or displeases. And we have to be that radically committed to God and that radically committed to the scriptures that we can, in a very real practical way, disassociate or disconnect from whatever our political views are or the political atmosphere may be. So do no wrong or violence. You know, we, we don't, I don't, don't matter how angry we are. We don't do violence. We don't, we don't break things. We don't hurt people. We don't, we don't take it out on people because it's what the scriptures say to do, right? We're disciples of Jesus. Uh, and we don't do it to the resident alien, which, okay, I know, a political hot topic, uh, or the fatherless, you know, and so why, isn't that funny how much God thinks about the fatherless? You know, young men, boys need fathers. We all know that. That's why there's so many big brother programs and so many, and when boys don't have fathers, they are prime picking for gangs, for crime, criminals, and and all kinds of st- bad stuff out there. And so what does God do? He's asked us to get involved, to help the fatherless, to reach out to them, to 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 be there for them. That's a very real thing. The the orphans of the world, um, there there are many, and they are all prime candidates to everything from petty crime to terrorism. You know, they, they're prime candidates because of the hurt they feel, the hurt they experience growing up. They're often run through systems that are not kind and just harden their hearts. They have all this anger inside. And then along comes somebody with a powerful message of hate and a vision of retribution. Boy, of course they're going to sign up. You know, they're going to jump in hands and feet. And they are easy to radicalize in a negative way. So God is concerned. So God's telling us to look out for them. And the widow, you know, the person who has given their whole life and no longer can take care of themselves or just needs a hand to take care of themselves, you know, that we be respectful and appreciative and grateful as a society and as individuals, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You know, that we don't, we don't, no matter what the, what the, 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 the crowd wants, we do what's right. We practice justice. Um, Micah 6, 1 through 8, and I just preached on this uh, a few weeks ago. Um, anybody who knows me knows that this is my all time, you know, my scripture in a sense. I've preached on this many times. I refer to it many times. Um, I love the scripture. It has been a guiding light for me uh, to to understand many other parts of the Bible. Uh, it 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 I love it because it encompasses, summarizes, and packages the whole thing in what is as close to a soundbite as you're going to get in the Bible. You know, in terms of just here's what it's all about. He says, of course, in verse eight or ch- chapter eight, verse one, he has shown you, immortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you. I'm sorry, this is verse eight. He has shown you, O O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? 
And um, as I preached on this many times, you know, this is this is actually uh, I'm pulling this out of the context is it's actually a lawsuit against God's people. God is literally filing a lawsuit against his people and he's charging them with breach of contract. They had promised to love him. They had promised to love each other. They had promised to obey him and to take care of one another. And they didn't. And they weren't. And they were not a love. They were not loving him and they were not loving each other. And the poverty was, was, was increasing. The gap between the rich and the poor was expanding. There were poor Jews who were having to sell the land, the land that God gave them when they took the promised land, their family land. They were just to keep their kids. Some of them had to sell their children just to feed the other children because they were so impoverished. And, and of course, this made God furious. And they were not being faithful to him and they were not being faithful or loving to each other. So he calls them and he, and, and he challenges them and he files a lawsuit against them. And this is the end of a long discourse. This is verse eight. Um, and, and he tells them what, what this is, this is the bottom line. What does God want from us? He wants us to act justly, you know, do, do what's right. Do justice, you know, as we read earlier. Do just, don't just be just, do justice. Act it out, carry it out. Carry out what is right and what is fair. If somebody has and somebody doesn't have, then give to the one who doesn't have. And and you who've been given much, share much, give much. Um, this is This is what will change the world. This is what changed Israel. This is what can change the world. I personally do not think it's going to be a government, a political party, or even a program, or even a charity group that's going to change the the world. I think it's going to be regular people like you and I sharing generously. If everybody did that, if we could grow a conscience on a mass scale, change the culture where everybody just shared what they have, we'd be doing justice and there'd be no hunger, there'd be no extreme poverty. You say, well, Jesus, didn't you say the poor you will always have? Yes, there will always be some wealthy people and some poor people. But there's a big difference between being poor and starving. There's a big difference between being poor and not having enough money to buy medicine to save your child's life. That's what I'm talking about here, the extreme poverty. That's what was happening in Israel. That's why God was so angry. I mean, in one sense, I grew up poor, but even as I can say that, we were poor, we had food to eat, we had shelter most of the time, we had our family, we had each other. We, I mean, I, I didn't think that my life was bad at all. I thought my life was great. Now I look back and I can see, oh yeah, we were pretty poor. We never went out to dinner. We didn't go to restaurants when I was little. Now when I got older, yeah, we did a lot and, and we, we were middle class, but but when I was little, my family was very poor and we were all poor. But you know what? We always had the basic necessities. Poverty, global poverty, that's a whole nother realm. There wouldn't, that wouldn't even exist if we all shared. So to act justly, to love mercy. You know, uh, here's the word hesed. Again, you know me, you know, that's a big word for me. It's a big word for the Bible, really. It's a word that is incredibly significant chesed, and and loving kindness, to love kindness, that we share, that we're generous, 
that we're giving, that we take care of each other. And of course, to walk humbly with your God, that, that to, to have a humble demeanor as the, with your God, that we walk around aware of who we are and who is God. Um, I read that uh, from one commentator that this is the word used to describe how we should act in the presence of the king. You don't act arrogant, it's the opposite of being arrogant. You are humble and lowly before the king. How much more should we live humbly and lowly before God, right? So so this is the bottom line. This is what God wants. He wants us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. And when you get that down, God's happy. And the world would be changed. The world would be radically changed. Um, act justly, love mercy, and 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 these are the, of course, these are the, uh, I have the words up there in Hebrew. Let me, let me get to the definition of mishpat, chesed, and sana, which is, um, the humility word. It's actually not humble. It's, it's different, but it's, it's a demeaning demeanor that we are supposed to carry ourselves with. Um, in Isaiah 42, uh, and Matthew 12, he says, here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. You know, you, you, I know I read this earlier, but the, 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 the part I want to point out is that, that justice is part of changing the world. Justice is part of advancing the kingdom of God. When we love everybody that much, we cannot stand to watch anybody suffer from any nation, from any skin color, any language, any people. You say, well, wow, the church could fill all its time just practicing justice. No, it's not that the church needs to become a justice center. The church needs to be centered on justice. And that's the kind of people we are. Are the, the, the most important just the most important thing to get right is our walk with God, our relationship with God. That is the greatest injustice, is that Jesus died on a cross. And most of the world ignores it and has done nothing about it and has not responded to the great sacrifice that Jesus has made. That's where Hesed comes in. You remember, if you've ever studied Hesed, you know, it's a, it's a pact. It's like a, it's like a covenant. Know that God loves us, does for us, and then we should love him back and do for him. Well, God did his part and he's done it. He sent his one and only son to die a horrible death, to pay for our sins to receive the punishment we deserve, now we should respond. That is the greatest injustice, is that the world does not respond to God. But there are many other injustices, and at no point should we ever accept injustice at all. And so what does the Bible tell us to do? Well, these are the words from the scriptures. Do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice, open your mouth and defend the rights, deliver it, and do no wrong. You know, just if we're just be the church, the incredible impact that we can have on the world, on, on, on society around us. And even if we're small, even if we're just a few or a fraction of the population, we can have an impact. Jesus said, this is what faith is like, right? It starts as small as a mustard seed. Jesus said, we are like the leaven that works its way through the entire batch of dough. I mean, for a thousand years, Christianity set the standard of ethics and morality in our world for a thousand years. 
and it had that kind of global impact. It does so no longer. We're not, we're not the ones setting morality or ethics anymore. But I think that what the world needs now, <laughs> love, sweet love, justice, mercy, humility. Boom, here it is. That's the church. That's the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is where justice and righteousness reign. And, 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 and I know that we still have a lot of work to get the church. We got to get the church lined up with the kingdom of God. We got to get the church, making sure the church is a place where the kingdom of God shines, right? But that's the beauty of this, that we can have that impact. I mean, justice, even, even the, 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 the mandate that God gave to Adam and then he gave it again to Noah to take care of the earth. I mean, I think this is what our millennial kids in Generation Z, that's what they're going to be so fired up about is that God told us to take care of the earth and we have failed miserably. And talk about the voiceless. We have not stood up for them. We've not stood up for the animals and the trees. And, and I say we, I know some of us have and some of us are doing what we can, but the point being that God sends us out to right the wrongs. And to make things right, restore things, to treat everybody as somebody who's created in the image of God. That's what's right. That's what's good. That's what's holy. And, you know, there's, there's, um, even doing this, I want to say this is that, that, because I know there's some that might hear this and think, oh no, he's going to turn the church into a social political action group or something. No, 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 no. God is the center. Scripture is the center. But we're not done restoring New Testament Christianity. We're not done becoming like Jesus. We're not done developing the image of Christ in us. We're learning. We're growing. I think that what's happening in the world right now is clearly spotlighting justice. Clearly spotlighting spotlighting this shame on us. If we don't learn, if we don't grow because of it, if we don't change because of it and become more like Jesus, more like him. I heard somebody say the other day, yeah, but Jesus never got mad at people. Uh, correction. He got mad a number of times. What do you call the whole flipping the table scene? <laughs> he was practicing some justice there. He was correcting things and making it right. You know, and most of it was teaching and training and developing people. But he was corrected. There's no doubt about it. Jesus was restoring justice and righteousness to God's people to get them right. And, you know, there's a, this, I have this diagram on the screen of, you know, the, the, uh, What's the relationship between evangelism and justice? Evangelism being on one far side and justice on the other. And, you know, groups that are totally focused on evangelism tend to prioritize evangelism and ignore justice. And groups that are totally focused on justice tend to prioritize justice and ignore evangelism. Obviously, you know which side we were on. We leaned way more over to the, to the other side of prioritizing evangelism and ignoring justice. It's not an either or. It's a both and. It's it's who we are. We need to be people who believe in love, who believe in justice, who believe in righteousness, who walk in holiness. 
They're not exclusive. In fact, the truth is you can't and you shouldn't even try to separate them out because one blends right into the other. And they're they're all the Lord. They're all the Lord our God. And so as we grow and we become more like God, I think we're going to become more vocal and more active in justice. Is that going to take over the church? No, better not. Because uh, our beacon, our guiding star, our North Star, is not justice. It's not evangelism. It's Jesus. It's God. And that will keep everything in the right balance. If we overfocus on something else, then we'll go off. But we need to stay focused on Jesus. Eyes on the prize, right? Eyes on Jesus. Justice, it's part of God's righteousness and holiness. It's not the whole thing. And there's a whole lot attached to it. But it's part of it. And it sits in a much bigger picture of God and what he's doing. So that's enough for our initial class um, introduction. And I think we'll probably go three classes and uh, see what we learn. And again, I'm not telling anybody what you need to do or not do. I just want to show and I want us to study together what the scriptures are telling us so we can respond however God is speaking to you and whatever God is telling you through the scriptures. It's for you to respond. Thank you. Love you. And I'll see you at the next class. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 